you. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, fresh topic for today is education, and we have a real live guest, Mr. Thomas Pillow. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So, first topic, a little bit of history of education in America. Got a few different kind of uh, movements that you can think about. First would be the Puritans. Tell us about the Puritans, English teacher. <laughs> well, a lot of my knowledge of the Puritans comes from um, those classic American texts like the Scarlet Letter and, uh, you know, the Crucible, which was written in, in Puritan times. But um, essentially, the Puritans um, operated under the principle that, um, you know, the world was kind of wild and evil and untamed, and it was their job to purify it. Um, and for them, that meant um, rooting out all um, all sin. Um, that meant having strict laws and codes uh, to keep everyone in line and disciplined. Unfortunately, um, that could manifest itself in things like witch hunts and wrongfully accusing folks of um, witchcraft and sorcery and those sorts of things. I'm sure you've heard of the um, infamous Salem witch trials uh, and things like that. So as far as education during the Puritan era, um, much of the goal of education was to um, come alongside that process of purifying the people. Um, therefore, a lot of the, a lot of the education was, was religious and meant to indoctrinate their children into their way of thinking and believing and worshiping and those sorts of things. Okay, so the Puritans, they want everybody to be pure. I would say the next big movement would be the run, One Room Schoolhouse. One Room Schoolhouse is um, basically, you ever seen, um, oh, what's that stupid show? My wife loves it. Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, Little House on the Prairie. If you've ever seen that show, that's the one room schoolhouse. I'll find a clip and I'll, I'll put it in the notes for you to go watch. But yeah, basically it is to form not just good, pure people, but pure, good citizens of a country. One room schoolhouse kind of comes about after the Civil War, even before then, um, to kind of make everybody unified and one and bring this kind of healing to the country from lots of different changes. That's kind of like the positives of it. But some negatives would be, it was very anti-Catholic, anti-anything other than Protestant religion. Um, it was definitely a propaganda machine for how people wanted things to be, not necessarily how they should be. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the potential positives for the one-room schoolhouse is, is you've got so few students um, under one roof at a time, and you've got students of different ability levels and different ages. Um, to me, that seems like an opportunity to diversify your education and meet each student where they are. Um, but unfortunately, as you said, it's kind of the opposite of that. It's, it's let's fit everyone into the same mold of what we believe an American should look like, um, what we believe an American should read, how we think an American should think. AKA um, the McGuffey Reader. Exactly. Um, one of which, one question of which I think was, um, what is the purest and best form of government? And the correct answer was? Hashtag America. 
Hashtag America. Um, they didn't have hashtags, okay? We're kidding. There were no hashtags. But basically, the Republic. That was the only Republic. form that was acceptable. I mean, at that point in history, though, it was either you had a king, you had a dictator, or you had America. So Absolutely. Um, we also saw a lot of inequality in education even back in these times. Um, depending on where your schoolhouse was, you may not have had the same resources um, as, a, as a wealthier area. So a lot of these uh, schoolhouses were dilapidated, falling down, leaky roof, all that sort of thing. If it rained, you might not be able to come to school because the roof may not uh, keep the rain out. So, um, Well, I mean, the other thing I think about is not just as far as money, but location. The South did not have good education system at all. Most children were, whether you were black, white, didn't matter. You were out working, trying to do um, agricultural activities, that kind of thing, or you were a slave. So, I mean, you didn't have the either the option to go to school or if you did go to school it was much more minimal as far as the training the teacher that you had the actual mm -hmm. school system so by the time you get to the civil war you've kind of got i mean this is kind of cliche but you've got the rebel rednecks you know in the south who they don't know nothing and then you've got the entire northern army which had basically completed high school so i mean you had a cultural difference north to south and even east to west the more west you went it was the same way if you were East Coast and further north, then you were educated. Um, you had a, a solid, at least grounding in what you were going to know as a person going into citizenship, into adulthood. Whereas if you were in the South, you were kind of screwed. Another fun fact about um, this era in education. When you think about the profession of teaching, when you think about a teacher, um, more than likely a female probably comes to mind. Um, it, it's historically a female-dominated profession, um, especially in lower grades. Um, and that actually started during this period, right around the Civil War. Um, not because women necessarily made the best teachers, um, although they may have. You could pay them less. They were cheaper. Uh, so one super, one superintendent was quoted as saying, like, um, find me a really good male teacher, one of the best, um, or no, no, sorry, find me um, a male teacher unless you can find me a female teacher who is almost as good for cheaper. It's all about the dollar signs. Because women were staying at home, they weren't working as much, so if you had a woman, if you were in a one-room schoolhouse, they were typically unmarried younger sometimes even teenagers themselves is who got hired not necessarily someone who was college educated which the men demanded the higher salaries usually have more education all right next would be the progressive era oh gosh <laughs> don't get me started progressives what do you think we're talking about turn of the century here and turn of the century into the infamous deplorable president woodrow wilson that guy yeah, so correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I will. <laughs> but uh, you, you started um, you started really seeing two different perspectives um, in how education should be done uh, or, around this time. You kind of had a more traditional perspective, um, which dated back to the one-room schoolhouse. Education is for um, creating good citizens, teaching Americans how to be, how to think. Um, but then this new strain of think thinking comes along, a more progressive strain of thinking, um, 
that begins to argue more for, um, you know, creativity in the classroom, um, teaching students how to be critical thinkers. Um, I believe that's where John Dewey and his uh, laboratory mm -hmm. schools come into play mm -hmm. there. Um, and so a lot of a lot of education during this time period is kind of a tug of, tug of war between those two ideologies. Because you've got like the scientists, the sciences and scientific method kind of getting applied to education. It wasn't just little Timmy can read, he can write, and, you know, he knows enough to go to the store and, you know, count out the coins. Now it is the industrial era. You're seeing people being, you know, called on to invent things, to grow economies, you know, the amount of growth that takes place then. I would say it's maybe similar to what took place in from the, you know, the 1990s to now, the technological evolution that we've gone through, kind of in the same, you know, as far as amount of change, you need about the same amount of change. Education from the 90s to now is completely different. Like, it didn't matter what I got grade in science on the ACT. I wasn't going to major in that. It didn't matter. Whereas now, like, if you want to get a job, you better freaking know some science. Mm -hmm. Anyway, yes, the progressives are weird era where you have this battle, but at the same time, progressives see school. This is where it really gets bad. Progressives see school as the way to fix society. That's it. You want to fix problems? Education. You want to fix uh, civil rights? Well, let's desegregate the schools. Education will fix it. You want to change poverty? Make everybody super smart. No child left behind. Make sure everybody has an education. And guess what? It'll all go away, and it'll all be correct and fixed. Now, let me ask you a question. Progressive education stuff's been used for how many years? And progressive, the idea of education being the solution to every problem in the country, has been the main mantra since the year 1900. We are 120 years later. Has education actually gotten that much better? What do you say? Yeah, so education is, well, it's changed in some ways and stayed exactly the same in other ways um, over uh, over the last hundred years. Um, I mean, there was that document we looked at where it was like a, a staff meeting or something from like 1910. Mm -hmm. It literally could have been copy and pasted out of just about any school handbook mm -hmm. that teachers read today. Yeah, no, no idea in education is new. Um, we, uh, you know, we kind of go through different waves and different cycles of things, and then it all comes back to funding and accountability, right? Like, how do we decide where this money is going for education, and how do we decide whether um, the teachers and students are holding up their end of the deal to receive this uh, this funding? And I think that's where that's where things get bogged down, right? And that's and that's where we're not able to kind of change and evolve as a as a system is uh is because we get, we get placed in these very narrow lanes um as far as these are the standardized tests we need to do well on these are the types of questions we need to be able to answer and if we don't we don't get the funding that we need to continue to do what we do um so the act is screwing us all over there are some issues with the act hey. I'll say that there are some issues with the act adding one other thing i mean COVID 19 that's kind of crazy. Changes education. 
the fact that you're listening to us on a podcast, not talking to us in the library at school, that's a big difference. Yeah, and you know, hopefully COVID-19 changes education for the better. Um, I mean, you already saw last year where they're having to cancel ACT tests and so colleges are having to admit students without an ACT score um, and which to me could be a positive change if you start to rely more on writing samples and interviews and things like that to determine the quality of a student versus um, you know a standardized test score I, I think that could be positive um, it's 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 definitely forcing teachers to grow and adapt and be <laughs> flexible I think the same is true for students as well um you know and i think i'm i think at least you know in in our classrooms and i think in other people's classrooms it's also forcing us to trust our students more put more ownership on them for their own learning um starting to use some more experimental models for things that uh i think just better honors who teachers and students are um as image bearing people and kind of breaking away from this, like like I said, accountability model of education that we've been stuck in for so long. I think that it's good because it puts the yeah, like I was saying, it it's good because it puts the onus back on the engagement between a teacher and a student to being that's the way you're going to learn, and the student has to embrace learning in their own way. They have to actually take the time. If you want to learn, you're going to learn, but. If you want to sit there and not pay attention to the podcast, yeah, you're not going to learn. That's it for segment one. We've got our first ad break today. So, do you ever have trouble paying attention? Maybe when you're on a Zoom call. Maybe when you're listening to a podcast. Maybe it's paying attention in general. There's a new device I have found that will help you actually focus and pay attention. It is called your legs. Yes, use them. Stand up, walk around, move a little bit. Do what you gotta do. Keep your brain engaged, the blood flowing. So if you're already bored out of your mind, guess what? Walk around a second, come back to the podcast. All right, on segment two, we're going to talk about what roles should schools play in society, like what should be their goals as a school. We're going to talk elementary all the way through grad school, okay? I have a kid in elementary. Mr. Pillow's got a kid in elementary. They're in the same school. Um, What role should elementary schools fulfill? I think we've been focusing so much on the, you know, they have to know so much and they have to be able to, you know, um, have these certain grades and hit these, you know, marks and everything as they grow and da-da-da-da-da. There's some merit to that, but I don't think that, mm. After having experienced virtual school with a four-year-old, Lord help us all. No, they need to be around people. They need to learn how to deal with people, how to listen to others, how to socialize, because guess what? I've met people who didn't have a high school degree that I like being around. I've spent spent a lot of time with some really educated people. It really ticked me off. They didn't know how to socialize. They didn't know how to be around people. So, I mean, I really think the social skills is literally the most important function of elementary school. What do you think? I definitely agree with that. I, I think 
Um, and, and I feel like it, it'll be a theme throughout all of these levels, but I think we get so caught up in, we have to cover the material. We have to stick to the pacing guide. If we don't teach them this at this during this month of this grade, then they're going to be behind. Um, and I don't, I don't much buy into that. Um, let's, let's teach kids what it looks like to be civil, which, you know, even from the very, even from kindergarten, that's like teaching them how to share, teaching them how to play together, you know, instead of keeping the blocks for yourself, let's build a tower together and see how high we can build it together. Um, those are skills that translate all the way into the workforce. And, um, I, I also think, um, apart from that, um, you know, I was having a conversation with my neighbor yesterday and he was talking to me about his elementary school age son um, and how he'd been working with him on, on reading. Um, and I really do think, you know, the, the earlier you can teach a kid how to read, um, the earlier that a kid can really read fluently, especially in our society where information is right at our fingertips with our computers and our phones and everything, um, once a kid knows how to read, they can teach themselves anything that they want. Uh, so social skills um, and then I think reading skills should be should be the primary concern in elementary. All right, moving to middle school. You were all middle schoolers recently. I was a middle schooler a long time ago. What should middle school be playing a role in? Personally, I'm one of those experienced teachers. I would, in middle school, I would just literally take a classroom full of kids everywhere and just let them like experience everything they could. Get their hands dirty, let them, I don't know, crush things in a hydraulic press, let them do some engineering and try and build some stuff, let them get out in the world and experience things to find what they actually enjoy before you get to high school, you get to my theory of high school in a minute, but I think middle school is all about the experience, less of the social and more like taking some of those skills you've learned and applying them to a situation. Because most of middle school is sit there, shut up and do what you're told. Because I think we maybe should get people out in the world a little bit more. I'd agree with that. I think a lot of our coddling of children either begins in middle school or really intensifies in middle school. Um, and then we produce, and I, I'm a product of this system, so I'm not being critical of anything that I hasn't been done to me. Um, but I think we, um, we finish middle school and we don't know what it's like to fail or what it's like to make a mistake, unless we've just like failed because we didn't do any of our homework or worksheets or whatever. Um, but like you said, let's let's get out in the world. Let's get our hands dirty and let's like have an engineering project blow up in our face. Hopefully not literally. Um, I'm OK with it. Literally. <laughs> and then and then figure out like what does it mean to like pick up the pieces and get right back to work? You know, it's not a big deal if, if you fail and you make a mistake. Um, and I think that should be that should be um, communicated in middle school. Also, social emotional skills. In middle school, <laughs> middle schoolers are a hot mess, man. They don't they don't know who they are. They don't know what to do, what to think, what to feel. But they have all these feelings and they have all these thoughts. Um, I, I think it's crucial that we that we introduce some of those skills. Start working on processing our emotions and 
start working on you know positive self talk and um, and mental health right there in right there in middle school. I'm gonna push back. Let's go. That should take more in elementary. Well, I think it. I I, I don't disagree with you, but I think it does look different in elementary and middle because in middle you have kind of more of that vocabulary to. Um, to talk about what's going on inside you. I would think that if you've pushed them in elementary to, to get them to express more and relate more, do you have as much of a problem in middle school? I just hope not. You know, the only data we really have is what we see right now. So maybe if the changes we see happen, I mean, I'm sure if the changes we want to see happen, happen, the world would be a much better place, right? Yeah, because we know everything. All right, moving on to high school. Mr. Pillow, your thoughts? Yeah, I, um, I, you know, I think there's another pattern here where, um, you know, as we move from elementary to middle, things become a little more hands off. And I think in high school, things should become even more hands off. Um, I believe much of a student's learning should be pretty self-directed in high school. Um, you've got the skills that you need from elementary and middle to kind of theoretically be a um, kind of a self-starter mm-hmm. and a uh, goal, hopefully goal-oriented person. Um, and so why not let the high school student have a hand in designing their own curriculum for themselves and deciding what it is that they're interested in that they want to study, <clears throat> all the while using these higher order thinking skills um, to study those things. And that's where the role of the teacher would come in as kind of facilitating um the development of those sort of skills while the student is studying whatever it is that they think is meaningful or valuable for them so no more sage on the stage just the guide on the side approach Mm -hmm. something like that okay high school i think kind of fits with what i think in middle school by the time you get to high school you should have some idea of what you're going to do with your life i'm not saying it's definite but you should have some clue of what you're going to do what you're going to at least try first. You know how many kids come in my personal finance class and it's like, what are your dreams and ambitions? They're like right now for you to shut up and that's about it. But, you know, I mean, you should have some ideas of what you want to do with your life. I mean, think about it. Alexander Hamilton, <clears throat> that guy, 14, 15 years old, running a company, ladies and gentlemen. Whereas, I mean, we've got like, you know, 30-year-old guys who think they're men but basically act like middle school boys these days they don't have any direction in life they never actually experienced anything to then choose a direction high school should be about you making the decision for what you're going to do and starting to step towards that and experience it because i know a bunch of people who got degrees in college and aren't doing a single thing related to what they got a degree for because they thought this was going to be something they'd want to do but they never actually experienced anything and so after they have a college degree, they work the job for six months and then realize I hate my life. I mean, you have people like that you've seen before. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And so that makes me think like apprenticeship programs in high schools and things like that. Mentoring programs where you you do spend six months, you know, with a with an engineer. You spend six months with a nurse or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. Um to get a taste of what that's like before you do have to like really put some money towards your decision of what your career is going to be. Um, Speaking of money, <laughs> college, 
in grad school, <clears throat> higher education, hot take, should you have to take a freshman English class? Hotter take, should undergrad even really be a thing? Oh, what do you mean? Right now, our system is basically, this isn't for every university, this isn't for every class. No. But for the most part, you pay your money, you show up to class, you take a few tests, write a few papers, you're going to get a degree, you know, whether or not you've learned anything. Um, mm -hmm. And so I find myself lately just really questioning what the function of college is, what the role of college is and what it should be. Because right now I don't really think it's fulfilling a lot of purpose other than making some, you know, some people some money and you know, putting, putting college football teams on the field. Yeah, and you get to go to parties. They're a party. You can do that anyway, though. You know, you could not spend twenty thousand dollars a year and go to parties. Yeah, but it was so much more fun to spend twenty grand a year and go to a party. I'm you know, kidding. When, when there were student cancer. loans and you felt like you're getting free money, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you actually have to work for it. <laughs> it's coming for you. The loans. All right. Um, but on a serious note, I, I do think I do think our society could stand a serious, like, critical look at our. Um, at our university, at just the university model, um, do some restructuring, some vision casting. And because to me, and I think you would agree, um, I've learned way more in grad school than I did in undergrad. My, my learning in grad school has been more useful towards my career mm -hmm. in grad school than undergrad. So, but question is the learning you do in grad school because it's more immediately pertinent to what you're doing? Is that why it's better or is it better because you're not 19 years old and trying to go hang out with your buddies every Friday night? I think that's some, I think a lot of it has to do with maturity. Um, and, and, and yeah, just being more emotionally like ready to take my life seriously, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's a lot of it. But I think we, part of the reason I say what I say about middle and high school is because I think we squeeze kids into this. You have to take all these classes. You have to be in this mold. And then you've never experienced anything in life. And you get to college and it's like, freedom. I must go experience and do stupid things I would never have done if I used half of my brain at least. But I think if we had them more experienced in things of actual living life earlier, that maturity would take place sooner. And you could actually then... He said, and then you can talk about changing college from being this, you know, funnel of paper that you get when you spend four years there and a bunch of money to actually being something that's directly applicable, like this directly applies to your job. I hope so. I'll, I'll point this out as well, though. We have discussed what we would change from the youngest age up to the oldest age. We mm -hmm. started at elementary. We worked our way up. Um, our thinking about education is exactly the opposite. From the time kids start kindergarten, we're talking about college. And this is what it's going to take to succeed in college. We've allowed college to set the bar, set the benchmark, and dictate what the rest of education is going to look like to where you've got elementary school classrooms that look like college classrooms almost, you know? I mean, um, my kid goes to a college preparatory elementary school. Right. I just wanted to count and, like, you know, no shapes right now. I don't care if she passes college right now, lower my totem pole. Yeah, right. And so I wonder if even that perspective shift would be 
healthy for our society. But it'll never happen, and we both know why. Money, money, money. The money is made at that college level. Money. See what COVID does to that, too, especially if football season doesn't happen. That money might dry up. All right, so we've talked about some things we thought we should change. We've talked about the different levels they play in society. Anything else you want to add before we go? Hmm. I think um, when we talk about school's role in society, that's such a complex question. Um, And I think for me as a teacher, um, you know, we've kind of pushed back on this idea that education can be a savior for society, Mm -hmm. that education can fix all of society's problems. And I think that's good. And I think we need to push back on that. But at the same time, we also have to keep this hope that we can actually make a difference, Mm -hmm. that education is actually um, a way that people can um, change their reality and change their family's realities. Um, And so I guess we have to work to keep education in a proper view that it is powerful. Um, there's a lot there, but it's certainly not a savior. No. I mean, we, in American culture, though, we picture education as Jesus, and that's a problem. But it's not. It's not going to fix everything. Um, you know, I don't know. I think we should change how we think about it but it still has a place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've enjoyed segment two of this podcast. It's Go read a, a book. Nah, don't read a book. Go watch a movie. Go read a book. Watch a movie. Go watch Hamilton. You could watch Hamilton. See, he's okay with that. All right. Bye. Thanks, ladies and gents.